Hey, hey, happy new year. I know we're a few weeks into 2021 now, but I've been a little MIA working on some secret projects in the background recently. So just jumping in here today with something that I pulled out of the archives. Years ago, I interviewed Barbara Stanny, who nowadays goes by her married name, Barbara Hewson. We had this great conversation about money and wealth and wisdom, and she has a brand new book out today. So I wanted to share this conversation with you and also recommend highly that you check out her new book. The book is called Rewire for Wealth. Three Steps Any Woman Can Take to Program Her Brain for Financial Success. But here's what I know. It applies to anybody that wants to get their money situation handled. She's a great teacher. She's a great writer. Another one of her books, Sacred Success, is one of my most recommended books. People usually ask me, okay, Mindy, you read a lot. You read a lot about money. What should I read? And I would say the top two that I end up recommending all the time are one, The Millionaire Master Plan, that's by Roger James Hamilton, and two, and these are not in any order, but also Barbara Stanny's book, Barbara Hewson's book, Sacred Success. And I cannot wait to go to my mailbox today because my copy of Rewire for Wealth will be there. Can't wait to read it. I'm sure you will be hearing about it on this show very soon. I'm super excited about it, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Join me on my journey as I explore wealth in all areas of life. I'm your host, Mindy Kinnis, and this is The Lucrative Society. I have a special treat for you. Barbara Stanny is here with me, and she is the author of a multitude of books, one of them being Sacred Success, which I really want to focus on in this interview. Barbara, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I wondered if, just to begin, you would give us a bit of your backstory. You've gone through a lot of different things, and as a woman, business owner, entrepreneur, mother, you know, there's so many titles that we could put on you, but if you could kind of give us the broad strokes of your life, I know that's asking a lot, but just to give us a picture of where you've come from and where you are now. Well, I'm just laughing as you say that, because I keep thinking, if anyone had told me that I would be talking, I would be considered an expert on women and money and on finances. I would have told them they were nuts, that they were on some kind of mind-altering substance, because that was not in my, in my, that was not in my brain at all. I grew up wealthy. My father was the R H and R block, and the only advice he ever gave me about money was "Don't worry," which I thought was great advice. Yeah. <laughs> and really, what he was saying is, "I'll always be a man to take care of you," and there always was first my father, and then my husband, who was a financial, who was a stockbroker. But what I didn't, what I learned very early in our marriage is he was a compulsive gambler. And I find out every year he'd, he'd gamble away my money several times a year. And here's the insane part. I was so intimidated. I was so terrified by anything financial. I continued to let him manage the money. And it wasn't until finally after 15 years we got a divorce. And even then I decided money's not my thing. I'm just not going to deal with money. Well, I have this theory. If you don't deal with your money, your money's going to deal with you. And I got tax bills for over a million dollars. 
back taxes. My ex didn't pay for illegal deals he got us in, but my signature was on everything. He had left the country. I did not have a million dollars or close to it, and my father wouldn't lend me the money. And that, Mindy, that was the moment I knew I had to get smart about money. Yeah. How did you, I, I love, because you talk about that in your book. You called your father and you had asked him for a loan. And this guy who had always said to you, you know, don't worry about it. It's fine. I have it handled. You thought your husband had it handled. What did that feel like to you? I love it that you point, pinpointed that as the moment, but what, what were some of the, the feelings or emotions that went through you at that time? Because I can only imagine for me, I don't honestly know what I would do. I was devastated. I mean, I was devastated. It was like I wrote in the book that there was actually an eclipse of the sun at that very moment. I was on the phone with my father and I was looking outside and everything turned like this eerie green. And I was sure this was a sign from God that my life was over. I had three daughters. One was just a baby. I wasn't going to raise those kids on the street. I stopped talking to my father and I started, and I didn't know how I was going to do it. I really didn't. I didn't know what I was going to do. Because every time I'd look at anything financial, my eyes would glaze over, my brain would fog up, and I always figure I was terminally stupid. Hmm. But I believe that when you make a commitment, a down-to-your-toes commitment, the universe revolves to help you reach your goal. And I was a, a journalist writing for the San Francisco Business Times. And I got hired for a freelance project to interview women who were smart with money. And those interviews changed my life. I not only got smart about money and started managing my own and done very well ever since, but I wrote my first book, Prince Charming Isn't Coming, How Women Get Smart About Money. I had this whole new career. I was traveling all over the country. I was working really hard, but I couldn't make money. Mm. So I thought, hmm. I started interviewing women who made six figures or more. And I want to tell you, my next book, Secrets of Six-Figure Women, I started making six figures before I even finished writing the book. Good for you. <laughs> and then I started teaching overcoming under-earning classes, and from there, I wrote my next book, Overcoming Under-Earning. I would say until maybe Sacred Success, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's been your main thing, overcoming under-earning, because that, years ago, that's when I heard of, or that's what I heard about you. This woman, you got to read this book, Overcoming Under-Earning, and I thought, what a brilliant statement, because these coaches that I work with, th that's exactly it. These people are brilliant coaches. They're fantastic. They have the best intentions, and yet they're having a really hard time making the money. Can you, just from your experience, talk about what might be going on there when they've got so much to give? They're really passionate, and yet the money that's coming in isn't matching that level of passion. I see that all the time, and it breaks my heart. Mm. But a lot of people who are in caretaking or nurturing roles tend to devalue their yeah. own value they give away their, their, their skills, experience for bargain prices or hardly anything. And many are just, I don't know. It's just that they're afraid that if they raise their prices, they'll lose their clients. Mm -hmm. And I hear that and, all the time. And, what, and, and if you read my books, Overcoming Under Earning. Read her books, people. <laughs> <laughs> You'll see the opposite is true. What happens when you raise your fee, 
you raise your perceived value. So people, you know, perceived value is different. Is when you raise your rates, people will see you as offering more valuable information. They will see you with a new cachet. And yes, you will likely lose some clients, but you will attract far more. It never fails. So how do you recommend people get past the fear? Because I can almost hear the excuses coming when you say things like that. Well, how could I do that? Or I don't know those people or that's, that nobody I know could afford that. I'll, you know, who knows what other excuse. How do you step into that, past that fear and say, this is what I'm going to do. This is the next step for me. So the, really the watershed moment for me in interviewing women who made six and seven figures and a number of them were coaches and a number of them were writers. You know, people you never expect. I interviewed, a, I mean, there were all these, I interviewed a psyche. I interviewed all these people you never expect. And, and these women were very confident. But as we got deeper into the interviews, I saw how virtually every one of them struggled with fear, struggled with self-doubt. Many felt like a fraud and were afraid others will find out. And I thought, wow. That's just how I felt. But the difference between them and me is they didn't let the fear stop them. They felt the fear, they felt the self-doubt, and they did it anyway. And that was the pivotal moment for me. And what I found out, what I realized, in the world of work, there is no such thing as fearless. It is not about not being afraid. What I realized is the number one requirement for going to the next level in anything, success in anything, whether it's making more money or losing more weight always requires that you step outside your comfort zone, that you go from what feels comfortable to what may seem impossible or scary as hell. And so what became scary for me, I now see fear as a good sign because fear means you're going outside your comfort zone. So I scare myself all the time. <laughs> I, I love that. I, I, I cannot believe I created new courses. I've raised my fees. I scare myself all the time. And when I get scared, I just say, oh, goody. <laughs> that means I'm going to the next step. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, you talked about in this Sacred Success book, you talked about some of the fear that you had previously. In some of your past books, you didn't divulge your whole story. And mm -hmm. I think what really came out in this book was the path that you've been on with the Course in Miracles. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and what especially was the importance to you of, of now telling that story, bringing that to the light? Yeah, I don't know why. I just, I feel like I want to cry now because all of a sudden when you said this, and I've been talking about this, this isn't the first time I've talked about it, but for some reason I feel very emotional because I remember wanting, it took me seven years to write this book because I was so terrified because for me, overcoming my financial barriers, my, you know, fogging up and all of that, getting smart with money, overcoming under earning was not just a practical process. It was very much a spiritual experience. And I even coined a word for this, metaphysical. I love that. I love that. When I read that, I'm like, she's a genius. I love it. <laughs> the work I do, I call metaphysical in that I combine the practical with the spiritual. And I believe that when you bring the divine, however you understand the spiritual, into conversation about the almighty dollar, financial success 
changes. It becomes a transformational process. It becomes a healing journey. It kind of becomes a rite of passage into our power. But for me to say that, and I don't just teach earning. I also teach about investing and wealth building. Because what I want to do is help every person who wants it to create not just enough, but more than enough. Not for how much money they have in the bank, but for what they can do with that money to change the world. And so for me to talk about my spirituality was very scary for me. Very scary. I think I I was a witch in a former life and I was burned and I think I had those past life memories. (laughs) Okay. I've had one of my teachers look at me and said, clearly, clearly that was you. (laughs) So I had that, actually had that in my book in my my, book. my editor took it out. She's no, no, so far with it. <laughs> Might be a little much for some people. <laughs> yeah. But it was it was very, very scary. But I knew, I knew for me to go to that next level, for me to reach the people I really want to reach, I had to do what scared me most. I had to come out of my spiritual closet. And I did. And it was interesting. There was There's a line in that book that I keep putting in and taking out, putting in and taking out, because I was that was probably the line that scared me most. And I kept it in. And Publishers Weekly, which is like the uh, Bible for the publishing industry, did a fabulous review of my book. And this line that I was so scared to put in, Publishers Weekly used as the first line in the review. And the the line was, I believe believe money is God made visible. Mm. Because I believe money gives us choices. Money gives us freedom. Money doesn't give us happiness, but the choices we make that money provides can really make us happy. Yeah, and what a what a different way to look at it. And a lot of us who've come with all of these ideas from childhood or from wherever about money is bad, money is the root of all evil, money is, you know, this slick, you must be a swindler if you have a lot of money. There's even if we don't consciously believe that, logically believe it, these things kind of hold on to us. You know, yours was, don't worry about money. I got this. The, the men can take care of it. But I'll tell you what else happened. When I went to write my second book, Secrets of Six-Figure Women, it was actually my agent's idea. And she called me up and she said, why don't you interview? And this is when I, I was a totally chronic under-earner. I couldn't make money, no matter how hard I worked. Yeah. And so my agent called me and she said, I got a great idea for a book for you. Why don't you interview women who are successful? And in that instant, I did like this little out-of-body thing. And so she's still talking. And I'm going, ew, I hate successful women. It's (laughs) intimidating to interview these designer dress snobs. And it's like, wow, I had no idea. And I realized in that second, how can I let myself be successful if this is what I think of successful women? Yes. And it was simply... By shifting, because one thing I learned from my very first book is that financial success isn't so much doesn't come so much from what you do; it comes from what you think. And when you shift your thinking, everything changes. And why the work I do with money is a three-pronged approach. There's the outer work of wealth, the inner work of wealth, and the higher work of wealth. And the work of wealth is, you know, understanding the difference between a stock and a bond and how to budget and save and all that stuff. But when you get stuck, when you can't seem to charge what you know you're worth or what you desire, 
when you can't when you can't tell the difference when your eyes glaze over like mine did, then it's really important to do the inner work, which coaches know, mm-hmm. which coaches know, but they don't often apply it to themselves and money. And then comes the higher work, because I believe that we are all here for a purpose, and we cannot possibly pursue our purpose and play full out if we're drowning in debt or struggling to make ends meet. So I can see, I can understand, I want, I think doing the higher work, what is the why? Why am I here? Why am I doing this? And what will money enable me to do? You know what I'd love to see? I would love to see coaches. I have talked to more coaching schools, but I th- I'd like to see money, not just how to fight, do a build a business. That's great. But people's own attitudes towards money. Because I went to so many coaches when I was, struggling and nobody could help me yeah i would love to see coaches be taught their, about their own issues with money i would love coaches to get together in groups and deal with their financial issues that that's the goal of this whole program because i run a coach a coach training program and we did the here's how to build a business and here's how to coach and all those things which are great and yet I would continuously have people coming back and it's always about the money, the money, the money. And that was my own story too. I was all this crazy passionate, I'm going to leave corporate America. You know, I had my Fortune 100 job, which was awesome, but I, that's it's soul sucking to me. So I need to go seek my, my fortune and my passion and became a coach. And then really quickly within the matter of a couple of years, I had taken my whole severance and my whole savings and my whole IRA, everything that I had built up or the 401k at that time, everything that I had built up, spent through all of that, ended up with a foreclosed house evicted from my apartment and living in my office. So it was nuts. You know, I was in Portland, Oregon for a few months living in an office, not really being able to eat regular meals on a daily basis, going to the drive through with the 99 cent menu. And so it's my story too. And I, I don't want coaches to have to go through the same type of chaos that I went through. And so I'm constantly looking for experts like yourself to say, what can we teach them? What can we offer them? What can we give out of this wisdom that we've accumulated, having gone through our own struggles, that hopefully might make their struggle a little bit less? Now, granted, we all choose our own path, and sometimes it's going to be pretty extreme for you know, some of us, <laughs> but I'm, I'm right there with you. So I thank you for saying that. Well, I, so I'm just curious. How did you get out of living in your office? Great question. What I did was I had recently met the man that is now my husband. And how this all worked out when I was in this chaos time of life is, is beyond me. That was a higher power for sure. It was because of him and because of a lot of the people that were starting to be in my life. And they said, hey, you need to really learn about marketing. Because I had come in as, hey, I'm an amazing coach. I've always done this type of thing. I've been that type of person and I know that I can really help people, but I wasn't willing to broadcast that to the world. I wasn't willing to market what I was doing and I was charging absurdly low prices at the time. So I remember actually the very first time that I met my husband, he was like, you know, I think you're charging too low. He had been stalking me online and (laughs) looked at my website and I immediately started crying because it was clearly a big issue at that. You know, I was like, I can't charge more. I don't know how to charge more, what, what to do. 
And that was the first thing, but I recognized in that I was so tearful and emotional about it that something's clearly up here. And then really learning, to me, learning about marketing and, step, like you said, stepping through that fear, through that idea that, that worth, my, my net worth and my self-worth had both tanked, really. But building those both back up, my self-worth first, so that I could, you know, bring in the money, that was what started it. And then, you know, soon after that, I moved to Chicago, I moved to all these other places and started doing bigger things, offering services. I'll just give you one example. I was doing teleseminars and I was charging people, I think, five or nine dollars to be on my my program. And then my husband and I got together. He's also in the same industry. So he's like, hey, let's do a class for people. Let's charge them ninety nine dollars. And I'm like, what? Charge them 90? Who would pay $99? The funny thing for me, though, is once it happened once, I'm like, let's go. Because we had a full class. You know, everybody paid the 99. Then we upsold them something else. And I was learning by example from watching him do it and thinking, okay, $99. Let's do, you know, (laughs) $9,000. Just see what we can do. So it was really brilliant people coming into my life and me saying, okay, I know something has got to shift and, and what needs to give. And what needed to give was my low self-worth and saying, I'm not going to market it. Should, people should just know about my services and come to me and pay me a lot of money. Well, clearly that doesn't work. You know, I have a line in my sacred success book that, that in our deepest pain lies our highest purpose. And I believe that you and I were given this chaos, this financial chaos, so that we could live through it rise above it, and teach others to do the same. Because, 100%. And so I feel like this is, this is my ministry, this is my mission, this is why I'm here. And I, I actually don't need the money, but I just love the work I do. Yeah. And I love making it, and I love being able to be philanthropic. Me too. Me too. Let me ask you about that. That's, I'm glad you said that word because one of the things that I did earlier, I was very much about giving and I, both in time and in money. I had sponsored a ton of kids around the world. I was always donating to you know, various causes. I had gone to Africa and worked over there and done a lot of volunteer work in the inner city of Denver. I was constantly just giving, giving, giving. And, and I'm, I'm guessing what you're going to say, so it'll be interesting to hear your response to this. But I found that those were the last things to leave. Even as my money was diminishing, I'm like, no, I have to keep sponsoring these children because they need to eat and they need to whatever. While I myself wasn't taking care of myself financially, I wasn't, like I said, I was ending up living in my office. And yet I was still, to the last minute that I possibly could, still handing out you know, donations and all of this stuff. What do you think was going on there? When did you, did you stop? Yes, I did. I, well, eventually I had to because there was literally no more money. My bank accounts had been shut off. So I, there wasn't a choice for me anymore. One thing I know for sure, that it's really important that we learn to give to ourselves first. I interviewed a minister in my Overcoming Underearning book who was a minister and a coach, and she had over, she had made so much more money since she started taking my class. And she said, I always tell people in my, my, my ministry, I always tell them, give to yourself first. Give to your families. Give. Because 
we can never take people farther than we've gone ourselves. Mm -hmm. We can never give people more than we give to ourselves. So it's really important. I know that people consider tithing very important. I consider tithing very important, and I love giving, and not just for tax deduction. <laughs> right. But we have, but part of the discipline is we have to learn to receive. As, as I've learned from uber successful women is learning to receive, which means giving to ourselves and receiving from others. That's the weak link for many people is that receiving and giving to ourselves. Yeah, I think that was. For me, there was a definite imbalance of this masculine energy of I can do it all myself. Don't help me. I don't need you. And the feminine receiving, just being open to everything that the universe yeah. has to offer us. I have a quote in my Sacred Success book. Michael Beckwith says, how can you be the light of the world if you can't pay your light bill? <laughs> yes. That was what I was it's trying like, to do. Yes. How can we possibly pursue what we're here to do? How can we possibly help others in the most best way possible if we're drowning in debt, struggling to make ends meet? We can't. We simply can't. It's a lesson of the oxygen mask. You put it on yourself first mm -hmm. before you help anyone else. Yeah, and you, you mentioned this earlier, and I, I want to go back to this, is the idea that with coaches especially, you know, we teach this stuff. We And it might not be just about money, but it, it's about taking care of yourself and personal responsibility, all these things that we teach. And yet when it's us, when it's ourselves, we have a hard time with that sometimes. Because as you mentioned, we're the caretaker, you know, we're the ones going out into the world and doing all this serving and assisting and all that were there specific things in life for you that really really made that clear as wow I've got to turn this around and start doing it for me first so that I'm able to continue on with this mission with this powerful purpose that you had first having three daughters <laughs> and no money in the bank and the ATM telling me sorry no money that, that did it. I mean, no matter how scared I was, I, I couldn't. I mean, if it wasn't for my daughters, I don't know where I'd be now, honestly. Right. Uh, but one thing that really made an indelible impression is all the therapists and coaches I went to to help me with this stuff. And they couldn't help me because they hadn't helped themselves. Mm. You know, I was, got my master's in counseling psychology, so I was a therapist a long time ago. And I knew if I was going to help others with money, I had to heal myself first. I had to be, as the Course said, a healed healer. There's too many unhealed healers out there that are doing a disservice to clients. So if you can't do it for yourself, if you can't really resolve your own issues with money and dive deep into them and heal, do it for your clients. Do it for the people that you genuinely, genuinely want to help. That's huge. I, I also wanted to ask you too, you talk about how you're, you're a Jewish woman and yet you've used The Course in Miracles as this guiding light for you, for your life, for your career. Can you tell me a little bit about how that came? Because a lot of people think of Course in Miracles as this totally woo-woo stuff that is just a new age book on the shelf. It is woo-woo, it is <laughs> impossible to read, it's it is very all dense. Male, it's very dense, all male pronouns, it's all Christian terminology, it was everything that should have turned me off. Right. But I was in the 
path of despair. And the course is not for everyone. When it's for you, you know it. Mm-hmm. So I told the story. I was in, I was just, I was desperate. And I was in a grocery store. We had just moved to California. And I was in a grocery store. And the woman behind, the woman behind me was talking about the girls. And I said, what's that? She said, I don't know, but I just bought it here in Tiburon, which is where I live. And I said, I got to see it. And I went and bought it. And it's like, I opened it. And I couldn't, I couldn't understand a word. But I had to keep reading. I had to keep reading. And, and it was, yes, the reading is dense, but there were these nuggets. And the course, the miracle, according to the, the, the Course of Miracles, a miracle is simply a shift in perception. And what that meant is my prayer became, above all else, let me see this differently. Let me see this differently. And just that prayer helped me see that, wait, I was blaming it on my husband. He, this financial stockbroker right. was gambling my money away, and I was letting him, and I was furious at him. How could he take advantage of me and my kids? And suddenly I thought, wait a minute. I gave him to the keys to the kingdom. <laughs> I was as culpable as he. And that one, that one awakening shifted everything because when you take responsibility that's when you take your power and that's when life changes yeah i love it one of those ways that i think it changes is looking at what's your driver is it ego or soul and you have a great table in this book the conflicting agendas of ego versus soul you know ego is this voice of fear as you said and then soul is the voice of love can you talk a little bit about yeah. how that comes this up, is, how to recognize that? This is a really critical distinction. It was for me. It has been for people who've come to my sacred success retreats. Power comes from two sources. And it's like we're a light. We're like a, a, a light fixture. We're like a lamp. And you, which source, which plug you plug in depends on which source you are tuned to And it depends on which voice you listen to. You can plug into the fear, which is the voice of the ego, or you can plug into soul, which is the voice of love. And the ego is not bad. The ego, its whole job is to protect you. And it learned how to protect you when you were a child. And so it's very clear on on what you need to do to protect yourself. Mine was you never talk about money. You know, you always, you never challenge the man. Money is a man. All those things. But the soul doesn't care about protecting you because the soul knows you're safe. The soul is your connection to the divine. And your soul is here to push you. And what protected you as a child, like mine was being quiet, Mm -hmm. children should be seen and not heard, was killing me as an adult. And so to make... The distinction between is that coming from my scared little ego or is that coming from my soul, the source of my wisdom? And and making those distinctions. And that's what kept me writing this book, Sacred Success. I swear to God. My ego was having a heyday while I was re- writing this book. It kept saying, no one is going to read this. This is such bullshit. Wow. This is like such crap it, all the time. And I just said, no. I get quiet, and my soul would say, "Write, Barbara. Keep writing." Glad you did. 
<laughs> Me too. You know, you mentioned power, and I, I'm really excited to get into this with you because that's, as I took it, one of the biggest points of this book is that in order to make more money, it's really you have to tap into your power. You have to get really clear about that. And I mentioned to you before we started the recording that so much of what you're talking about is the same stuff that I teach with heart intelligence and digging into that courage and that power and pulling that up and talking about the voice of love versus fear and what you're here to do in the world. It's, it's so cool that you've put yeah. all of that into this financial conversation because that to me was, I wouldn't have even thought about that. So it was brilliant. But this idea yep. of power, well, I'll just ask you to, to talk a little bit about that is power equals money, power equals what? Let's start there. Power doesn't come from money. Power comes from your knowledge of money. And what I've learned in working with women, and I know there are men listening too, but in working with women, women have so much trouble with money, making it or managing it. And it has very little to do with money. It has everything to do with their fear of or ambivalence about power or what they perceive power to mean. And see, men and women view power through very different lenses. This is a blanket statement, and there's many enlightened men out there that can relate much more with women. But for men, men assert power by exercising control. Women assert power by building relationships. For men, generally speaking, wealth and power are the ultimate goal. For women, wealth and power are simply tools. The ultimate goal is helping others, giving back to our community. And I think that is why so many women and men coaches who are quite enlightened and have a strong feminine side get so sucked into this, I can't charge. Because what they're really afraid of is standing in their power, becoming becoming really big, too big to ignore, really owning their worth. And to me, a powerful woman is someone who, and this can apply to men too, is someone who knows who she is, who knows what she wants, and expresses that in the world unapologetically. So what that means, when we're afraid of power, what we're really afraid of is becoming truly ourselves, becoming all that we can be. It's knowing what we want and expressing that in the world. I want more money and asking for it instead of watering ourselves down so we won't rock any boats. Amen. <laughs> and so I, that's why I think I'm so glad you're doing the work you're doing, Mindy, because I think this is something I believe that's hard to overcome by ourselves in isolation. Mm. Under earners tend to isolate or hang out with worrywarts, with pessimists, with the people, not, not bad, right. but, but they're fearful. And so to be able to get around each other and to support each other and have a role model like you and like me, it's like I think that's where we're going to lift the tide for all coaches. That's awesome. Thank you for that. I just love this idea that as we grow in our own power. And I love that word, unapologetically. That's perfect. 
But how do we do that? How do, let's say, let's say I'm a, let's say you were talking to me a few years ago, say I started my business almost nine years ago now. And then a couple years into that, as I mentioned, things were really, really crazy. And I was pretty powerless at that point in time. How could I have, in your opinion, started to take steps to develop that to not, I don't even want to say develop it because I think of it as something that is already inherently there. And maybe if you disagree with that, I'd love to hear that too. But what, what, is, what, what do you believe is inherently there? Th- this power source within us. Oh yeah. We were born powerful. Right. They, they, they say what they want and they get what they need. You exactly. are so right. We are all powerful beings. We just give our power away. So how do we start to take it back? How do we start to well, first of all, do that? You have to notice where you give your power away. Okay. Because it's real easy not to notice. But there's one sign that will tell you where you're giving your power away. Wherever you're unhappy. Mm, Wherever you're unhappy, you're giving your power away. And so to look at that and look at decisions you make, there, there are several things that help me and help me with clients is to look at where, what it was like for you growing up, what messages you got about money, what modeling you got, what your parents, what your father thought about money, what your mother thought about money. Those made an indelible impression on you. And I say financial success is an act of individuation. And individuation is a psychological task we should have accomplished when we were adolescents, but most of us never did. And that means breaking from your family of origin, taking what serves you and leaving what doesn't. And that's the work, so much of the work, the inner work that we have to do. Like I could have told you, well, here, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. But if you were not open to, if you were still letting these unconscious beliefs, these these programs in your brain they kept running you would never change and I think what really helped is one looking deep two having a role model like your husband and someone who believes in you which is why I'm such a big believer of groups and then starting to attract to you why support is so important attracting to you people who were supporting you in playing a bigger game and you put those three together role models the inner work having believers, true believers and leaders, and then really getting your purpose. Like when your purpose becomes stronger than your fear, when what you are here to do becomes stronger than being safe, that's when you'll change. And too often, things need to become really painful, but they don't need to be. Right. You don't need to wait for a crisis. And I think it's important for, for us women because for us coaches, because one of the reasons coaches don't want to raise their prices is, well, they say they don't want to include clients, and I believe that, but they don't want people not to like them. Mm. And I think to be an effective coach, you have to be willing to give up popularity yeah. for being effective and impactful. I always have clients getting mad at me. They get really <laughs> mad. In, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. I do. I'm really mad. And it's like, I love it. When they get, I mean, I wouldn't like if my husband or my children got angry. But in, in work, when my clients get angry, when someone gets angry because I raise my prices, I go there. That's the mother load. 
that's looking that helps them look at their own issues around money and prosperity and abundance. Yes. And wealth. That's awesome. I, I'm kind of known for, for that tough love I think mentality. You are. So I I completely relate. And I'm just it, laughing. Not, I'm like, yeah. Yep. But you you do it with love. You yeah. do it because you care. Yeah. Well that's I mean that's the goal, right? So one of the things that I'd like to ask you, and granted, we know that Everything that happened happened for a reason and all the chaos that we, we talked about before is for our own good, for our experience, for our learning and development so that we could come through that. However, if you could go back and do some of the things differently, what might you shift? Because I, I want you to think about the people that are potentially just starting out in their careers. Okay. What, what could they do to right now start to okay. shift things? What I would do? I would not change anything in my life. Right. Okay, good. <laughs> I, 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 and I thanked my father for not lending me the money. I thanked my husband for being a jackass. And But this is, prepare me, but for people who are having trouble with money, I say, go to you, go to me, get help. Really, the first step, the first step is to tell the truth about what's not working. Mm. I lived in denial for 15 years while I watched my husband gamble away the money. And I just kept saying, oh, it's no big deal. I can, this is fine. There's plenty of money. Well, there wasn't plenty of money. And it wasn't until I finally told the truth. This is not working. Yeah. I am putting my kids at risk and putting me at risk. When you tell the truth about what's not working, that's what... Because financial achievement, I noticed in all my interviews, financial achievement is always preceded by a financial challenge. Mm. And it was by addressing that challenge, telling the truth without shame, blame, or judgment, or even knowing what you have to do. And the second thing for me is I got help because I didn't know where to start. And I'd read financial books, but my eyes would keep glazing over. And I finally found a therapist. Because in those days, I, they didn't have coaches. So this was how long ago this was. I found a therapist. And I went to him and I said, Daniel, I really want to get smart about money. I really do. I really do. And he said, wait. Moved chairs. And he said, okay, Barbara, I'm going to be the voice in your head. I'm no longer Daniel. I'm the voice <laughs> in my head. So you tell me what you were telling me. And I'll answer is you. And I said, okay, Daniel, I really want to get smart about money. I really do. And he said, no, you don't. Yeah, this is brilliant. <laughs> and it was like the, a balloon inflated. I couldn't argue. I saw there was a part in me that didn't want to get smart. Yeah. Despite how, how, how desperate I was, I didn't want to get smart. And when I started examining that part, that was scared my parents would be mad at me, that was scared a man wouldn't love me, that was scared if I took charge, I'd lose everything. When I finally got in touch with that, that's when things started changing. Hmm. Yeah, I love that you especially talked about that point of denial because that's what I was doing. I wasn't telling oh, the yeah. truth about my situation as I'm watching. Well, I wasn't even watching. I wouldn't even open the mail at some point because it was just too too ridiculous and overwhelming that even though I knew that all these you know accounts were going down rapidly and I wasn't bringing in enough money to maintain any portion of my lifestyle, but I wasn't really admitting that. I wasn't telling the truth. 
about my situation. And I certainly wasn't asking for help because I can figure this out. I'm smart enough. I have done all these other things in my life that have been easy and great and wonderful. So, you know, I can do this too. And yet for me, one of the biggest lessons in that was community, bringing in my teachers, my helpers, my mentors, my cheerleaders. For you, you, you mentioned, you know, even during the writing of some of your books, you felt like a fraud or felt like, but you've had people that said, this is crucial. And I think that just to other coaches out there, to our listeners, get those people, like find those people, seek them out because they're going to be your saving grace. There are a dozen, more than a dozen times, plenty of times that I would have gone straight back to corporate America because the benefits and the paycheck and the this and the that and the everything else. And I had people in my life saying, "Uh uh-uh, this is your work and this is what you need to be doing here. So brilliant, brilliant stuff. I love that. Now, I was wondering if you, you've provided a lot of great resources and books, programs, coaching, all this stuff. But is there something specific that for you of, of someone else's, maybe a favorite book, favorite program that helped you along that path? Obviously you had your therapist and other coaches, but was there a book or a program that you could maybe recommend to other people? My mentor, Karen McCall has a organization called financial recovery financialrecovery.com, and she was the pioneer in chronic debting, overspending, and under-earning. And she was the first one that told me I was an under-earner. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm a writer. Because <laughs> everyone knew writers didn't make money. And I love, I, love <laughs> I love her work. And one of her, she no longer, she teaches coaches okay. how to do financial recovery work. And one of her trained coaches does teaches a class with me for me on on really called the uh, called overcoming under earning level two, which is really about getting a budget together, about uh, debt repayment, about saving. I mean, it's just hands on, fabulous stuff. So financialrecovery.com. Awesome. Now that leads me to a question. We talked, or you mentioned earlier about there's the inner work, the outer work and the higher work. And I want to go back to that for a second, because when I hear people talk about the numbers, you know, debt recovery, payback, savings, all of these things, I just always wonder, what's the percentage, in your opinion, of mindset stuff to technical knowledge about money? Where's the balance? Or is there one? So for me, I had to shift my mindset before I could tackle the technical. Okay. And not, it's not true for everybody. There's some people I feel like they pop out of the womb <laughs> knowing about numbers. Ready right? to go, yeah. But it's not me. And I believe that the mindset is critical, even though the financial media, the financial industry, completely ignores that. Mm-hmm. But I believe, I like to think of them as working together. While you're doing the inner work, you are freeing yourself up to do the outer work. And I'll give you another resource, which I think is the best and it's free, is Debtors Anonymous. It's 90 meetings, 90 days for anyone in debt. It will it works miracles. And that it's good because that links the inner work with the outer work. It's the best 12-step program for really tackling the nuts and bolts while doing the dealing with the psychological emotional. Awesome. Awesome. 
Now, and, and that may actually be one of them, but my next, my next and final question for you is if you could offer three steps or strategies, I'm really into implementation and taking action and let's get this stuff done. Let's start working on this, not just listen to an interview and, oh, that's great. You know, I'm working on my financial wellness. But if you could offer three steps or strategies for coaches that potentially are struggling or potentially are just getting started and, and maybe to avoid the struggle that some of us have gone through, what might you recommend they do? Three things. Three steps. I got three steps. You do these steps because I really believe financial success is a matter of small steps consistently taken. That if you do these three steps and you do them consistently for three months, you will be amazed, amazed at the transformation. Every day, read something about money. Even if it's just for a minute or two. Even if you just take the, the business section of the local newspaper. Even if you're standing in line at market in, in, in the supermarket, instead of picking up People magazine, you leap through Money magazine. Before you're going to bed, you read one paragraph of a financial book. Every day read something about money because it, these are the three steps I took. Because so much of getting smart or smarter about money is just familiarizing yourself with the jargon and the current trends. Second step, every week have a conversation. Talk about money, especially with someone who knows more than you. <laughs> yeah. You know, we we tend to be when, when when money when it's not when our lives when our financial lives aren't working we we tend to be it's our secrecy and silence but that's what keeps us stuck. So I started picking people's brains all the time, and what I found is that people are doing now is they're you're getting together in book clubs and study groups to study finances, reading financial books. So every day read, every week talk, and every month save automatically have money transferred from your checking account or your payroll check into a savings account. And I don't care if it's $10. I don't care if you just take all the spare change out of your purse at the end of the day, put it in a jar and every month, deposit them in the bank. Because every day read, every week talk, every month save, you'll be amazed. And that I love that because it's so easy. That's not some technical stuff that you have to, that's very simple. And like you, you said, know, just doing it consistently is the key. It doesn't take a lot of money to create wealth. Mm. And it doesn't take a lot of time to get smart. And while it's better to start when you're young, it's never, ever too late to start. If our listeners are really engaged and intrigued with what you had to say, which I'm sure they will be, where might they go to learn more about you and your work? Barbara Stanny. Right, com, and, and I'd love to hear from people. I'm, I'm very accessible. Awesome. Thank you again so much. I really appreciate your insight, your wisdom, and your experience because that has, has brought you into this place where you are so in attune with your power and what you're here to do in the world. And that's my wish for anyone watching this program is that they will be equally, not necessarily about money, but whatever it is for them, that they will be equally engaged in that work as you are. So I definitely appreciate that. Thank you again. You are a terrific interviewer. Thank I mean, you. really terrific. I usually don't do these things because they're not, they're not fun. I really, really enjoy you, and I would love to support you. Awesome. I so appreciate that. Thank you again. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe to The Lucrative Society on iTunes, and please leave a review of the podcast. 
Visit lucra.com for transcripts and resources, or to become a member of the Lucrative Society, where I coach purpose-based entrepreneurs on business, mindset, and heartset. Lucra, where wealth equals well-being.